0: This is artful discourse your weekly escape into the vibrant world of creativity culture and intellectual exploration i'm your host benjamin kirk and i invite you to join me on a journey through the rich tapestry of human thought and the beating heart of artistic expression at fresno states college of arts and humanities day of giving was november 2nd 2023 and the college of arts and humanities once again had an excellent showing Preliminary numbers show over $48,000 was raised from 280 gifts. A large portion of that was raised for the Dean's Council Annual Fund. The Dean's Council has a unique structure. About half the funds go to endowed scholarships, and more than a dozen students across all the college's departments receive scholarships every year. The other half goes to the the Dean's Discretionary Fund. This is used for student books, tools, supplies, publications, and music production. Computer and electronic equipment and software, and student, faculty, and staff travel for a variety of purposes, such as meetings, conferences, professional associations, or research activities. My guest today is artist and recent graduate Sarah Theller. As a graduate student in the art history program, Sarah received the Dean's Council funding to travel to Copenhagen, Denmark, and study a tiny gilt silver figurine from the late Iron Age Scandinavia that was found in 2012 called the Valkyrie of Harby. Is that correct?
1: Yes. All
0: right. Well, Sarah, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Hi, Benjamin. Thank you for having me.
0: All right. Besides being an art historian, you are you are a phenomenal artist in your own right.
1: Oh, my gosh. Thank you.
0: So what do you love about art?
1: it's probably incredibly cliche to say that I love the expression of art, but it's, it's the expression. It's the complete freedom to experiment and do whatever you want to do on a page or whatever ground you're working with. Um, I don't know. I feel like I've, I've found out a lot about myself through art and I've, I've worked through a lot of things through art and, I think, I think I love art because it's healing, it's human, and it's very expressive.
0: All right. Now, your thesis was titled The Gilded Valkyrie, How Christianization and Binary Concepts Distort the Interpretation of Viking Iconography. Now, that's a long title. Yes. <laughs> a lot. And it's pretty loaded, too. So, can you... Break it down for me. Tell me a little bit about your thesis.
1: Sure. Um, so the gilded Valkyrie. Um, this is referring to the Harbi figure, the Valkyrie of Harby, That is this gilded uh, silver figurine. Um, and then the the rest of the title: "Hell Christianization and Binary Constructs." Uh, the Christianization uh, aspect refers to historical period of Christian conversion of Scandinavian peoples, and you know this majorly impacted not only their timeline but how the rest of history has unfolded um, which leads into the binary constructs um because you know I discuss a little bit in my thesis but there's there's a way that we conceptualize ourselves um, and and our community depending on what we believe in the way that we picture the universe and the way that we picture ourselves within the universe. Um, So there, because there was this Christian influence and this Christian conversion, I looked at how we conceptualize these peoples after Christianization because Christianization is what left us a lot of um, the evidence that we use to say what Vikings believed in.
0: Now as, as far as Vikings go, did they have their own written language prior to Christianity?
1: No. Um that's well maybe no is a little harsh, but there there was not a common literacy, there was not mm. a common written language. There were runes, but these were extremely esoteric almost, you know, they're very limited on who can access those or know what they mean or, you know, actually engage with the rune writing. It's called a Fusark or Futhark. Um, But it, this, this writing is very uh, associated with magic and knowledge and Mm -hmm. power. So it was very limited on who could actually access it.
0: Mm. And so it seems kind of from reading your, your thesis a, a little bit that it, a lot of what we know about Vikings in that time period comes from uh, the writings that happened after Christianity came into the picture.
1: Yes, exactly. Exactly. And then everything
0: else we have is just artifacts.
1: Yes. So we have we have um, predominantly writings by Christian authors, um, and not even necessarily writings from the time that they're discussing. Mm-hmm. Um it's very it's very similar to um the Christian Bible. You know, it was written a couple hundred years after the events that it's describing, uh the central events that it's describing. <laughs> and then, you know, but it it's it's still considered almost a historical fact, you know, it's it's considered mm-hmm. that way. Um same sort of thing with the writings about the Vikings. It's it was written Two, three hundred years after the initial start of conversion and the massive historical changes that were occurring, but then they wrote the histories down way later, right? After they were already, um, I don't want to say tainted,
0: right? After the, I, I think I get what you're saying. It's mm-hmm. kind of like it's their perception of what happened. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. And, and in their perception, what of what happened, it would be like us writing about something that happened in the 1700s um, or or even earlier by not looking at the writing, by just going off of the verbal.
1: Exactly, exactly. The verbal record. And a lot of the people who knew that original oral tradition, you know, obviously were already passed and gone. And Mm -hmm. that had just, everything had shifted from that point.
0: Now, I did find it interesting that there was there did seem to be one exception and that was an Islamic writer yes. who, who came and can you talk about a little bit about that? Maybe not get into too, too much of the gruesome details because it did get a little, little crazy there.
1: For sure, for sure. Um, so this writing, um, it, is, it is one of the only exceptions uh, that we really know of. Um, this writing that I'm talking about is a diary entry written by a man named Ibn Ibn Fadlan and Ibn Fadlan was a um, an Islamic diplomat who was traveling through um, Ru's territory uh, in modern day Russia. So he was with um, Vikings who lived in modern day Russia, and he was at a. I'm trying to remember specifics, but he was at a funeral for a Viking chieftain, and it was a it was a funeral festival. For about ten days, mm-hmm. that Ibn Fadlan witnessed. So he he's writing this diary entry. Um, you know, as he's witnessing these events. So it is not a text that's written after the happenings. It's our most direct written source that we have about the Vikings, but it is still removed because it's written in Arabic and it's written by, um, for lack of a better way of saying it, it's a man who's removed from this society or this culture or this spirituality or this language. Right. Um, but he does, he gives some very interesting descriptions of the funeral, which um, kind of informed um, a lot of my ideas about the Valkyrie mm-hmm. and about, and which informed what I think the figurine might represent.
0: Through the Dean's Council annual fund funded in part by day of giving you were able to view and study the tiny figurine labeled the Valkyrie of Harpy in person. So, tell me about that experience. What was the setting? What was it like to see the figurine in person? Yeah, um, I, I got a
1: little nostalgic, a little emotional just from that question. It was it was an incredible experience. Um, so, I had I had traveled before as a study abroad. I had mm-hmm. gone to London uh, in twenty nineteen. But then you know this experience at the beginning of twenty twenty three in January, I traveled completely by myself to go see this figurine, and it was beyond anything I've ever experienced before um, because it was a totally different uh way of traveling, I mm-hmm. guess than than being in this group, you know, and I was completely by myself so I could totally focus on my on my mission right. <laughs> you know um, so I I got to Denmark and like the next day, cause I, I pretty much went to my hotel and went to sleep, but the next day as early as I could, as early as it opened, I went to um, the National Museum of Copenhagen. Mm-hmm. And I went and saw the figurine right away. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: um, it took me not long at all to find it, even though it was so tiny. It, it's, it's easy to miss because of how tiny it is, but I also knew what I was looking for and I was able to just zero in and get it. Um,
0: so describe it just a little bit to me. Like you say it's tiny. How tiny is this thing? Cause I've seen pictures of it and it is a little bit intricate too as well. So
1: it's maybe the width of my pinky
0: maybe, wow.
1: um, but it's a little bit shorter than my thumb. Mm-hmm. It's, very small
0: and is it broken
1: it is okay it is the feet um and maybe mid-leg is broken off we can't quite tell where it was supposed to end but the the bottom is broken
0: And, and gilded to me and correct me if i'm wrong but that means that it was made out of another material and then silver was put over it like shaped to it almost
1: so it was um it was made of silver like the the core of it is silver mm. and the gilding over top of it it's a very thin layer of gold uh-huh. so it it looks like it's gold but it's not actually gold underneath
0: it's only silver
1: it's only silver
0: <laughs> So w- were you able to handle it? No. Okay. Okay. Fortunately, unfortunately, unfortunately <laughs> But you were able to talk to some experts while you were there?
1: I was. i I was able to meet with um Dr. Peter Pence, an archaeologist and researcher at the National Museum.
0: Mm-hmm. and
1: um, he he gave me some stellar advice. He gave me resources and um, yeah, we we talked for probably two hours, yeah. just in the exhibit in the exhibit.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, at that time, had you formulated kind of an idea, or were you still formulating it? Did you discuss that with him at all?
1: I was I was maybe halfway through my thesis. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as typing it, I was pretty well done with all of my my thoughts and my theories. And I just hadn't fully fleshed everything out yet. Um, but it the trip was really to hone in and just confirm everything mm-hmm. um, because there's only so much I can do on a computer as far as like seeing the images and then, um, I don't know, there was something about just traveling to the area itself too, yeah. not just being in the United States talking about this completely different country.
0: <laughs> well, tell me about that. Tell me more about that. Sure. Um, um, well, well, okay. So you this is Copenhagen, correct? Yeah. So- you, so you flew into Copenhagen. What was it like being there? Because you yourself are kind of a Viking descendant to some extent, right?
1: To some extent, it's, yeah. This feels goofy. It felt kind of like being home. It just felt mm-hmm. very comfortable. I felt safe. Um, it felt familiar in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it but at the same time, completely new. Um, because, like I said, I'd been to Europe before, but it was you know a completely new part of Europe for me. Um, everyone was so kind, which like shouldn't be a surprise, but I feel like sometimes we get used to um inner cities in the in the in the u s where everybody is uh a little hasty mm-hmm. but I within five minutes of being in the country, I asked someone for directions, and he like completely stopped his family and they they walked me through like directions on how to get to the train in the airport and they were j- he was just so nice.
0: Yeah. All right, well tell me more about gender in the religious lens. For example, uh there was you talked a little bit about gendered iconography and and how some some things like hair tied in a knot was viewed as female, right? Mm-hmm. And can you give some other examples of that and 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 how that could possibly distort the views.
1: The the not being female as distorting views.
0: I, I, I think what it was was they they assigned a certain iconography to genders, right? right so right, yeah,
1: right, yeah. Um. Okay. So first, I I think I'll start with a little bit of gender in religion. Um. So I talk about gender in religion or gender in spirituality in the thesis because um i think i kind of touched on it earlier but like how we view ourselves and our community is very centered on how we believe the universe works or how um how the universe functions um whether or not there are gods or a single god whether or not there's spiritual um excuse me supernatural uh beings or deities or mm-hmm. what have you that kind of that informs how you will relate yourself and how others will relate to you. So with the Harvey figurine, um, you know, the figurine has this very prominent knot at the back of the head. Um, It's a ponytail that's tied without, you know, a scrunchie. It's pulled into a knot. This symbol is very important because a lot of researchers with with this figurine tend to say that the knot is symbolic of her feminine being or her womanhood or whatever. It feels simplistic to me, um, that 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 symbol is being reduced to just being a oh, it's a ponytail. So it it just means that she's a, a female. Um because there's these there's many images <laughs> um that show that this this not, is not just being used to show, like, oh, it's a girl or, oh, it's a female. It shows something more complex because we have images where traditional markers of gender uh, tend to be confused. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is archaeologists uh, have looked at images from Viking art and uh, have assigned, in a way, um, Pants or trousers as being a marker of male imagery or, you know, it's a depiction of a male or a man mm-hmm. and dresses, skirts, anything kind of flowing as being a marker of female, feminine, it's a woman. They've also assigned long hair and short hair that way or beards and long hair Yeah, <laughs> that way, you know. Um, but there's images where these distinct, these distinguishing markers are confused. So we'll have um, a person who has pants on, but they also have like a long knotted ponytail, but no beard, or they do have a beard as well. So it's, it's very confusing
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, because we have these, you know, supposed markers of gender, but then a whole lot of exceptions.
0: Now, with the particular piece, the Valkyrie of Harbury that you were studying, th- there does seem to be some conflicting gender as far as my Western mind looks at it. Anyway, where the it does appear to be a female figure, but at the same time, armed. Yes. With yes. shield and a, does it have a sword as well?
1: Yes, uh, she carries she carries a double edged sword in her in her hand, and then a shield in the other.
0: I guess where I'm confused a little bit is is why is this important? Does, is it important that they're gendered properly? Is or does gender not even matter in this case? Or is it is it something in between?
1: It's to me, it's something in between. Um, I don't really think it matters uh, whether the harpy figure is a man or a woman or neither or mm-hmm. both, um, b- because the question of what the figure is doing or what the figure is representing truly hasn't been answered. Okay. It's, and it, and it seems like to me, there's a lot of focus in that, in this field and in this research, uh, this particular um, figuring that's being researched, they're trying to identify it. There has been a lot of attempt to identify the figure rather than focus on what is the figure doing or what does it represent? Um, You know, so they're saying like, oh, it's a Valkyrie. It's, It's one of Odin's servants rather than focusing more on like what could the symbols represent to the people who made it, who made this image.
0: Do you have an opinion on it?
1: About what I think it is? Yeah. I do
0: would you like to share that
1: i i think that the harby figure for lack of a better term is a charm of -hmm. sorts i think it was um because of how small it is i think it was for an individual person you know it's not it's not a monument it's not been to be seen by a bunch of people um but i think it could have been some sort of uh pendant or a pleek, because of the way that at the bottom there's, there's some evidence of how Mm -hmm. it could have been used there. Um, But as far as the actual symbolism, I think that because of the, the very elaborate dress, um, this was a very elite person or um, the concept that's being represented shows a very elite person. The, Ponytail knot shows a very powerful person because I think that the knot represents power because of where it's used and how it's used in other image in mm-hmm. other images. Um, and then you know the combination of the sword and the shield. This figure is extremely powerful. Um, mm-hmm. You know they might have been wealthy or well regarded in their community. Or if they weren't, you know, an actual person, it, it's a concept.
0: Mm-hmm. This
1: concept is well regarded in their community.
0: So almost like a, a charm that represents power. Yes. Could really boil it down.
1: Yes. Okay. And, and I think that this would have been possessed by someone um, potentially that the charm represents. Mm-hmm. I think that the, I think that the Harvey figure is a valkyrie in the sense that Valkyries are priestesses. They weren't servants of Odin. Right. They are, you know, these real beings that represent this very spiritual concept.
0: Now, we talked a lot about the the lens or the framework of Christianity that has traditionally been used inadvertently to... to uh Interpret a lot of this, these these uh, pieces. But what frameworks did you use to interpret the piece, and what are some of the conclusions? Well, about what the figuring says about early Scandinavian society.
1: Um, so, as far as frameworks, I I did use a lot of modern frameworks, and I address I address that. Um, so I use I use quite a bit of gender and feminist uh, theories. You know, modern theory but i I do make sure to say, because I know that they're all modern and I'm applying it to this ancient culture. Um, the way that we look at gender now is not at all the way that people would have looked at gender a thousand years ago.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But it's the way that we it's the way that we're thinking now that gender represents more it's It's more social um, and it can be gender itself can be this framework to help us look at another society or another culture. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, to me, it was, it was this way of conceptualizing and, uh, trying to make a model of the way that these people might've thought about themselves and other people a thousand years ago.
0: Yeah. Now I'm just curious, did you run your, Thesis by some of the people you worked with in Denmark,
1: I did send it to um the two researchers that I worked with directly, and then a third researcher that I just kind of emailed with mm-hmm. um, and they all said thank you that they received it but i I didn't hear anything back after that.
0: This is curious, yeah, if you have yeah. any feedback
1: I mean they're all very, very busy <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> it is very long thesis, yes,
1: it's a very long thesis. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, no, I was just curious if, if you had heard feedback from any other experts on the subject.
1: I did. Um, I kind of pitched my idea of what I thought about the harpy figure to uh, Dr. Pence while I was in Denmark. And mm-hmm. he just he just sat there and nodded to me. Of, mm-hmm. Like, he really he, it seemed to strike him as well that he thought that Valkyrie um, is more aligned with a priestess rather than a servant.
0: Mm all right so switching gears a little bit um at at the end of your tenure so this is in the spring of last year you did a senior art exhibit as well so not only did you do a thesis an incredibly long thesis we're talking (laughs) 250 plus pages right
1: yeah 215
0: oh 215 okay and then um so it's it's long, it's, it's long, it's yeah. Pretty, yeah. It's very. It's a good read, though. It's a Thank good you. read. Um, but you also uh, did the senior art exhibit, which is what a traditional art student would do, like like a painting student would do. Yeah, yeah. And that was stunning as well, and and used some. I mean, just f- for me, really interesting visuals. You want to talk a little bit about your exhibit?
1: Sure. Um, so I I also did my. My graduate exhibition um, for studio art—I this exhibition was called Ragnarok—to um, kind of go along with my thesis as well.
0: And what does that mean?
1: Ragnarok means um, twilight of the gods in Old Norse, mm-hmm. and it refers to, um, well, in, in Christianity, it would be called Armageddon or you know Judgment Day. Mm-hmm. Um, Ragnarok is the end of all things but then life that comes after that again it's not an end of all ends it's it's a wildfire that clears out you know the bad Mm -hmm. in the forest so that the new growth can come
0: yeah was a stunning exhibit thank you (laughs) And we we will have pictures. We will have a story on this, oh, and and so we will have pictures from that exhibit online as well as as well as photos of the um, of the artifact. And I'm blanking on the name. We've only said it a million times. The this, Harvey figure. Harvey the figure. There we go. All right. So Sarah, what is next for you?
1: I don't have an answer for you, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm smiling because. This is the first time in my life that I don't have an answer for what's next, and that's extremely exciting for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know I am in the middle of a pretty big move out of state with my partner, and he and I are starting our lives together. Um, I'm hoping to get back to painting when I set up my home studio. Mm-hmm. and i have I have some ideas for a couple
0: series right on,
1: but that's about where I'm at.
0: All right. Is there anything I missed? Anything you'd like to add?
1: Just a huge, huge thank you to everyone who supported me in my academic and artistic journey here.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Sarah, for joining us today. And while Day of Giving is over, you can still support student success through the Dean's Council Annual Fund. Just visit cah.fresnostate.edu and click on Give in the menu. Then you just follow the instructions. The College of Arts and Humanities holds dozens of public events every semester. For the latest concerts, theater performance, art shows, and lectures, visit calendar.fresnostate.edu. And we'll see you next week for another edition of Artful Discourse. Artful Discourse is a production of the College of Arts and Humanities at California State University, Fresno. The dean is Dr. Anora Chapman, and the associate dean is Dr. Sergio Laporta. This program is written, directed, and produced by me, Benjamin Kirk the college's communication specialist. The theme song for Artful Discourse is Made in Voyage by Fresno State music professor Benjamin Boone from his album, Joy. More information about his music can be found at benjaminboone.com. Special thanks to KFSR and FSR Underground General Manager Julie Lindahl for making this show possible. You can learn more about the College of Arts and Humanities and find an archive of our shows at our website, cah.fresostate.edu, or on our blog, fresnostatecah.com.